Real quick before we get into uh, today's sermon, uh, last week we unveiled, there's a sweet timeline, a big sheet of paper in the back. If you weren't here last week, um, as like I said, we're walking through a series called How'd We Get Here? And so we thought it'd be cool to share how we got here as, as a church, as individuals. And so any important dates you have, birthdays, anniversaries, uh, when you came to Chicago, when you, you know, came to CF, when you got saved, anything that's a mile marker for you, go ahead, write it um, back on the timeline. Put your name on there, obviously, like, so we know whose is whose. Um, just the word birthday next to a line doesn't do anyone any good if we don't know whose it is, so make sure you sign it. Uh, but go ahead and do that, and if you've already done it, go and look and see as people are adding their stuff. It's been so cool to just see how everybody got here, how um, we as a church got together. So it's a really cool uh, thing that you can do. It's in the back. Uh, you can do that after the service. This morning, we are going to be in Genesis 25. Genesis 25. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Genesis 25. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in one of the seat backs near you. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, go ahead and take that and keep that. That is for you. Um, so go ahead and go to Genesis 25. Put your finger there because we're going to do a little bit of background before we get to Genesis 25. Um, this morning, uh, for those of you who don't know, gentlemen, husbands, boyfriends, if you don't know, you might be in some trouble, but today is Valentine's Day, um, for those of you who don't know. And so today, um, regardless of what you think about today, and I know that days like this can be hard for some people. I know we have people in our church who want to be in a relationship, want to be married, um, and aren't. And I know that days like this can be very hard. Um, and so regardless of where your relationship status is, regardless of what um, where you are at this morning, I want to give uh, a little bit of just something that you can cling to this morning, and not just this morning, uh, but every day. Um, and it's, it's this truth. It's that God made you. Uh, he made you. He formed you. He knitted you together. He thought of you. And he decided, you know what? The world needs one of those. He made you, right? We talked about this when we started, when we looked at creation, and the fact that you, by being made, you are made in the image and likeness of God. And just by being you, by being a human, you have worth and value. God made you. And not only did God make you, but God knows you. He knows every part of you. We're going to talk about this later on in the sermon, but God is omniscient. Okay? That means he is all-knowing. He knows everything. He knows everything about you. He knows the good stuff. He knows the stuff that drives you. He knows your heart. He knows your passion. He knows the things that you are inspired about, the things that get you out of bed in the morning. He knows you. He also knows the bad stuff. He knows the stuff that you hide. He knows the stuff that you don't want anyone to know. He knows that. He knows all of you. And in light of that, and sometimes in spite of that, God loves you. God loves you deeply. He knows every part of you, and he loves you. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. You are part of that, the world. God loves you. And when I say God loves you, this is not like, rom-com, infatuation, like lust, fleeting emotion thing. When he talks about God's love in the Bible, he uses the word agape. God's love is unconditional. Love, God's love is never-ending. God's love for you is never going to stop, never going anywhere. I ain't going to go anywhere. You can't do anything to drive me away. You can't do anything to make me love you more. You can't do anything to make me love you less. I love you with everything that I have. That's the kind of love that God has for you. God made you. God knows you. God 
loves you. He loves you so much that He sent His Son to die on a cross and pay for your sins. So again, regardless of what you think about Valentine's Day, regardless of what your relationship status is today, cling to, lean into, rest in the fact that God made you, God knows you, and God loves you. I'm getting ahead of myself. We've got to pray. Let's pray, and we're going to get into Genesis 25. Heavenly Father, God, you are good. You're good all the time. God, we thank you for, we thank you for another day to get together and celebrate and worship and sing and rejoice in the fact that you are a good and loving God. God, we thank you for being a God who cares about us, God who knows us, who pays attention to what we're doing. And that in, even though those times that we fall, even in those times where we aren't reflecting you to the world, God, even in spite of that, you love us anyway. You know us and you love us. You love us so much. You sent your son to die for us. God, as we open your word today, as as I preach, Lord, let nothing come from me that isn't from you. God, speak, open up this text to us. Um, you have a message for us this morning. Um, so, Lord, help me to get out of your way so you can, you can send your Holy Spirit to do his work. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So, real quick, before we get into Genesis 25, we are in this series, How Did We Get Here? And the purpose of this series is really threefold. One is to understand the story of the Bible, to really get an idea of who comes when, where, right? Abraham to Noah, to Noah to Moses to David, like where does everybody fit? And to kind of build a bit of a timeline of God's story. The second reason we wanted to do this series um, was to see as the story of the Bible unfolds how God is revealing his character to us, how God is revealing himself to us. And we can watch as this story of the Bible unfolds through the line of promise. It's a phrase I've been using a lot, the line of promise. What I mean by the line of promise is this line, this generational line that leads us to the fulfillment of the promise God made in Genesis 3. When God said, look, I'm going to send one who's going to go to war with Satan. He, Satan will bruise his heel, but this guy is going to bruise his head. He is going to stomp Satan out. And it was going to take generations to get to that point, this line of promise, this line that is going to fulfill the promise that God has. That this person, this line that is going to lead us to Jesus. And so we watch, and we've been reading through Genesis, and we've been seeing these moments, these glimpses, where God says, I haven't forgotten you. I'm paying attention. He's coming. I promise he's coming. And these are glimpses of what it's going to look like when he gets there. We saw this with Noah and the flood and how God saved Noah and his family. We saw this with Abraham and the covenant God made with Abraham where he said, I am going to bless you. You are going to have descendants as many as the stars in the sky. You are going to have land. You, through your line, will be a blessing to others. God makes this deep covenant with Abraham. And this covenant was carried out through the birth of his son Isaac. And we saw last week when God tested Abraham with giving, sacrificing his son Isaac. By the time we get to Genesis 25, what we're going to look at this morning, Sarah and Abraham have passed away. Isaac, it actually says what, about Abraham's death that he lived a long, good, and full life. That is a good thing to put on a tombstone. Long, good, and full life. Um, Sarah and Abraham have passed away. Isaac, his son, has taken a wife. Her name is Rebecca. Um, and so we're going to pick it up in Genesis 25. We're going to be in verse 19. The word's going to be on the screen as usual, but as you guys have seen the last couple of weeks, we're going to do some jumping around, so keep it open in front of you. Genesis 25, 19. 
These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore him, bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. We have a lot going on here. Isaac and his wife Rebekah don't have any kids. Just like Abraham and Sarah, Sarah was barren. She was not able to have a child. And so in the same way, Isaac praying and praying and praying for his wife. Finally, God steps in. Rebecca is able to have kids. She conceives. She's pregnant. But in her pregnancy, she felt something was off. Something was wrong. It felt like there was a war going on inside of her. And so she seeked counsel from God. She sought counsel. She went to God and said, God, you're the one who made this happen. You're the one who did this. So what's going on? And we get some information from God. He gives her a little bit of a glimpse of what's going on inside of her and says, look, you're having twins. You're going to have two boys. And these two boys are going to be two nations. They're going to be two separate people, right? We talked about when Abram's name was changed to Abraham, Abraham means father of many nations. This is a continuing of that prophecy. Many nations. Jacob and Esau are both going to lead. Their descendants are going to be two separate nations over time. And so God says, you have two nations within you. Two distinct people. And they are going to be divided. They are going to be at war with one another. Now you understand why you're uncomfortable. Those two boys, they don't get along well. There's actually, Jewish tradition says that Jacob and Esau actually tried to kill each other in the womb. Uh, we have no biblical backing of that, but, that, but that's what some Jewish traditions say, that they actually tried to kill each other in the womb. Um, at the very least, you know, sharing bunk beds wouldn't have worked for these two. Um, there's uncomfortableness, and God says, not only are they going to be divided, but one is going to be stronger than the other. One is going to serve the other. And at that time, that makes sense. The older, the firstborn son, we're going to see throughout this um, throughout this sermon, the, the firstborn son, he is to be highly regarded, highly respected. But God says, things are going to be different with these two. The older is going to serve the younger. It's the younger son. It's the secondborn. He is the one who is going to be more important. He is the one who is going to be more powerful. This totally flies in the face of the customs of the time. But God says, this is how this is going to happen. So let's look at these two boys. What we get, we get a little bit of a description from them. Let's talk about Esau first, since he is the oldest, and I'm partial to older brothers, since I am one. Um, so Esau, his description is that he is red. He came out, and he's red. That word there, uh, it could be his skin color, it could be his hair, 
We're not totally sure. It's actually the same word used to describe King David. Later on when we see King David, uh, his complexion and his demeanor, he's described in the same way as Esau here. It says Esau is hairy. He's so hairy, it looks like he's wearing a coat of hair on him, a cloak of hair. My cousin just had uh, a baby girl, and she came out and has like a full head of hair. Cutest little baby, but like the most hair on a baby I've ever seen. Esau like quadruples that. So he's red and covered in hair. Maybe he wasn't going to win any you know, contest for best looking baby. Um, but Esau is super hairy, and we find out he's going to be a skilled man of the field. He is a hunter. He is, for all accounts, he's a dude. Like, he is just a guy. He works with his hands. He sleeps in the field. He hunts. He kind of comes and goes as he pleases. He can bench a lot. He is a dude. Esau is everything that a guy should be back then. He is the provider. He is the protector. He is everything a guy should be. And I think a lot of that has to do with why it says Isaac favored Esau. He liked that Esau was a guy who went and hunted. He liked that Esau made food for him. He liked the food that the the animals Esau would go out and kill. He liked that. It's kind of a trivial reason to pick your favorites of your kids. He's a good cook, but that's what Isaac did. Isaac loved Esau. He loved his oldest son. And then we get to Jacob. And the first thing we find out about Jacob is that he comes out holding the heel of his brother. His name actually has connection to the phrase heel catcher. It's a verb. Um, It also is connected to the phrase to protect. And so Jacob is the heel catcher. He is the heel holder. That's what his name refers to. And in itself, that's not a big deal. Like They named him like, oh, he's holding his brother's heel. He's going to be Jacob. In itself, that's not a bad thing. But over time, because of who Jacob is, because of the, the decisions he makes, specifically in regards to his brother, his name is going to take on a far less appealing connotation. The idea of heel catcher is going to be connected to a supplanter, a trickster, a liar, a cheat. If you are the guy that you're the reason your name has its certain meaning to it, you are either really, really awesome or really, really bad. Jacob falls into the really, really bad category. Jacob makes a lot of poor decisions and is always looking for a way to scheme. It also says he is a quiet and simple man. He kept close to his family. He dealt with the family business. He took care of the flocks, didn't go out much. He lived in tents. He was kind of a homebody, very different from his brother. And maybe because of that, he's Rebecca's favorite son. Maybe it's because he was home a lot. Maybe it's because Rebecca knew this prophecy and just said, I'm going to pick the winner. Either way, Rebecca favors Jacob. He is very different. This family has a lot of different dynamics going on here. These brothers could not be more different. Their parents pick sides on who they love more. There is a lot of separation, a lot of cracks in the foundation of this family. And we're going to see this morning that those cracks get deeper and deeper. Look with me at verse 29. Skip down to verse 29. It says, Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. 
Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Man, I know this move. <laughs> this is classic older brother, and it's weird that Jacob pulls it because, like I said, it's classic older brother. I pulled this move on my little brother all the time. Um, I have a younger brother. His name is Dane. He's about three years younger than me. And uh, we were, in a lot of ways, a lot like Jacob and Esau in that we're very different. We fought a lot. I got a couple of good scars from him. He's got a couple of good ones from me. Um, and, and this move specifically reminds me, and it's a story he loves to tell, so I'll tell it just to embarrass myself because um, he's not here to do it. But one time, he had this little safe. We, he had this little plastic safe, um, and he was like eight. I was like 10 or 11. And when you're that age, what are you putting in a safe? You're putting candy and action figures in there. That's it. And the most important things. And uh, so I wanted some of what was in his safe. And so I, uh, we were wrestling, and I put him in a Boston Crab leg lock. It's a wrestling move. We're going to get into wrestling stuff next week. Don't worry. Um, spoiler alert. And uh, so I basically just put him in a submission move until he told me the combination to his safe. I know. Not awesome. I know. I got in trouble for it. I was a bad older brother. And there's zero way I could do that now because he's way bigger and could beat me up. I, I'm so happy I keep him on my good side now. Um, but this move right here, this like, I want something from you. I'm going to take it. I know this move. And so Jacob knows Esau wants some of this food. And so Esau gives up his birthright. He gives up his birthright. And that for us today might not mean a whole lot. But back then... If you are the firstborn son, you have the world in your hands. You have authority. You are highly esteemed. Just by being born, you are highly respected. You are highly esteemed. You had great dignity. You are the man of the family. When your father's gone, you're in charge. And as you got older, you got more and more responsibility. More and more was put on your shoulders. Not to mention... Being the oldest, you get a double portion of the inheritance. When your father passes away, you get a double portion, which means there's only the two boys. So Esau was entitled to two-thirds of everything that was Isaac's. Two-thirds of everything that was Isaac's. And he gives all of that up. He gives the, the respect. He gives the honor. He gives the fact that he is the one, when you are the head of the household, that you are the one who is praying and offering sacrifices on your family's behalf. You are valuable and important. Esau gives all of that up for a bowl of stew. And so what's his logic? What's Esau's logic here? He says, I'm going to die anyway. What's the difference? What do I need that for? And it's not that he's starving to death like he's going to just wither away. Again, he's a dude. Um, this is more, look, Jacob, I fight bears. I'm out hunting. One of these days, I'm probably going to die. What's the difference? I don't really need your stuff. I can handle things on my own. Either I'm going to survive on my own being a man or a bear's going to eat me. So I don't need this birthright. You can have it. Esau is a hunter and is fighting animals and is trusting in his own ability. He doesn't care about the future. He doesn't care about what's coming. He cares about right now. He cares about a hot bowl of soup and some bread. And so Jacob, just to make sure, he says, okay, fine. Swear to me. Make this a deep contract. Make this legal. I want you to swear that I can have your birthright. And again, Esau doesn't care. 
It says at the end of that section, he despised his birthright. He couldn't care less. Hebrews 12 talks about Esau and calls him irreligious, calls him profane, because he didn't care at all about what this birthright, what this meant for him, what this meant for him and his relationship with God. He didn't care at all. Esau was so focused on the instant gratification of that moment, he was willing to sell everything about his future. He was so focused on, I have a problem right now, I'm hungry, I don't care what it costs me, I just want to fill my belly. He didn't care at all. He was going to trust in his own abilities, his own talents, and didn't care what it was going to cost him. Now while we're hump, you know, just dumping on Esau, let's not forget that Jacob is not clean in this situation either. Jacob has not quite tricked his brother, but it's Jacob who lets this situation happen, right? Esau makes a poor decision here. He sells his birthright. He sells his future for a bowl of soup. Not a great decision, but it's Jacob who causes it to happen. And he doesn't outright trick his brother, but he definitely is living into that heel catcher might mean trickster, might mean something else besides just holding on to somebody's heel. Jacob is already showing a little bit of his character, a little bit of... I'm going to do what I need to do. I see what I want, and I'm going to take it. And it doesn't stop there. This is not the only time that Jacob and Esau have an issue like this. I want you to skip over. Go to chapter 27 with me. We're going to pick it up in verse 5 of 27. Well, you know what? We're going to start in verse 1. We'll just go through. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me, so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord, before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself, not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So Isaac here is getting old. And it says he's losing his sight. That's going to play into this situation. But he's getting older, and so he decides he's going to give his blessing to Esau. He is going to pass along this promise that he was given from his father Abraham. This promise of descendants and land and being a blessing to others. These things that God has entrusted to this line. Isaac has decided, I'm going to pass this along to Esau. Despite the prophecy about them, Isaac still wants to treat his oldest son as he deserves. Even though God specifically told Rebekah, even though God specifically told them, the, the older will serve the younger. The older is going to serve the younger. The younger is the one I have chosen. Even though he knows that, Isaac decides, I'm going to bless Esau. 
And what Isaac probably doesn't know at this point is that Esau already sold his right to this blessing to his brother Jacob. But you know who does know that? Is Esau. And Esau sees the situation and realizes, well, I might have made a poor decision with that whole bowl of soup from my birthright thing, so I'm going to take this blessing. And so he decides to go along with Isaac's plan. And so Esau goes out to hunt, goes out to do his favorite thing, hunt, cook some food for his dad. Rebecca comes up with a plan, and we see Rebecca convince Jacob to trust her. We see Rebecca have to say, look, Jacob, and he tells, she tells him over and over again, obey me, I'm your, I'm your mother, listen to me, I have a plan. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get some goats, and I'm going to take care of this. Look with me at verse 14. It says, So he went out and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the younger goats she put on his hands and on the smooth parts of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread, which she had prepared, into the hand of her son Jacob. So Rebecca cooks some food, takes some goats, cooks it, spices it up enough to make, it, make Isaac realize that he's not eating you know, venice. He's not eating a bear. He's not eating a wild boar, whatever it is that Esau went to go hunt. It's just a goat. So she takes and cooks this, and then she takes the skin, she takes the hair, and puts it on Jacob's arms, puts it on Jacob's neck, so that if her husband were to touch her son, he would think, hairy, Esau is super hairy, this has got to be Esau. So Jacob goes into his father, and they have a conversation, and Isaac isn't quite sure about the situation, but over time, over the fact that he gets to touch his son, and he feels the hair, and he brings him in close, and he smells, and he's wearing Esau's clothes. Esau, again, hunter, he's out in the fields, they don't have washers, his clothes smell like Esau. They're like, well, he's hairy, smells like Esau, he's got some food, this has got to be Esau. And so Isaac eats and blesses Jacob. He gives a blessing to Jacob of prosperity, a blessing of you're going to have land and that land is going to fulfill you, it's, it's going to be yours and your descendants. You are going to have protection. You are going to be a blessing to others. He passes along all of those things that God had given to Abraham, all those things Abraham had bestowed down to Isaac. Isaac has now given to Jacob. So Jacob takes this blessing and then runs because he realizes something bad's about to happen. Esau's coming home. And just after this happens, Esau shows up. He cooks the food. He walks into his dad's room. He says, Dad, I got that dinner for you. His dad says, what are you talking about? Who are you? I'm Esau. You told me to get you food. No, we already did this. He says, no, what are you talking about? I'm Esau. You said to get food. And Isaac finally, it clicks in his head what has happened. It clicks that he has blessed Jacob. He has given everything to Jacob. And Esau begs and begs for Isaac to bless him, begs and begs for something, for anything. And at the end, Esau is able to get basically, okay, your brother's going to have really great land that's going to be fertile, it's going to have crops, it's going to have food for, for the animals. Your land is not going to be great. Your brother is going to have descendants and they're going to be in authority and they're going to rule you. Your descendants are going to serve his. Your descendants are going to be subservient to him. Esau basically gets the leftovers and leaves that moment 
with one thing in his heart, one thing on his mind, to kill his baby brother. This family is a hot mess. <laughs> there is no one right. There is no one good in this family. It's like an episode of Mad Men. There is nobody good here. Isaac is blatantly ignoring the prophecy. Esau ignores the vow he made to his brother. Rebekah deceives her husband. Jacob deceives his dad. But we get through all this chaos, all this mess, all this ugliness. Where do we land? We finally end. And at the end of the day, exactly what God said was going to happen has happened. One will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. Esau's descendants are going to be at war with Jacob's, and at one point they're actually going to be Jacob's servants. Jacob has the future ahead of him. He's got the birthright, he's got the blessing, he's got everything going right. But there will be consequences to his actions. His family has been broken. He never sees his parents again. His brother, the big, strong hunter, wants him dead. Esau vows to kill his brother. There is a lot of pain and a lot of brokenness here. So who's the good guy? Right? I said at the beginning, part of the reason that we're doing this series is to watch this line of promise unfold. To see who is going to be the next in line. Who is going to help carry on and get us the next step. Get us the next generation as we get closer and closer to Jesus. Who gets to be the great, 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 great granddad of Jesus in this story? Who's the good guy that fits that bill? Nobody. No one in this story is worth that. No one in this story has earned that right. But God has already chosen who he wants. God has already chosen his one who's going to continue on the line of promise. He chose Jacob. And he chose Jacob while Jacob was still in his mother's womb. He chose Jacob before Jacob could do anything to impress God. So why Jacob? I said before, God is omniscient. God is all-knowing. God knows Jacob. See, God's omniscience means you can't surprise him. At no point is God paying attention to your life and going, huh, I did not see that coming. I did not expect them to make that decision. That doesn't happen. God is not ever having to react. You're not messing with his plan. He knows us. He knows our good and our bad. He knows Jacob. He knows Jacob is a trickster and a liar and a cheat. He knows these things about him. But he also knows what Jacob can become. He knows what Jacob, he knows the plans he has for Jacob. He knows the man that he can help make Jacob to be. You see, God has a plan. And that plan is going to get carried out. And sometimes things get messy, our life is in chaos, and there are these moments we have where we think nothing good can possibly come out of this situation. God is carrying out his plans through those moments. God is carrying out his plans in those messy, ugly, chaotic moments. God is omniscient. He knows all of us. He knows all of our very beings. And that could be scary, but it should be freeing, right? It should be super exciting. It should be something that allows us to live lives more open with one another. 
it should allow us to be able to live in such a way where we, can, we don't have to come in here on Sunday mornings and do the I'm good, I'm busy, I'm tired thing and just hide what I'm struggling with. But rather, we can actually be open and real and honest with one another because the stuff that we're hiding, the stuff we're struggling with, we're not really hiding it because God knows it. It's like playing you know, hide-and-go-seek with a little kid. When the little kid hides and they just cover their eyes, they're not hiding. If you can see it, they're not hiding God sees all the stuff you're dealing with. God sees the mess. So you're not really hiding it anyway. So why not come and be part of a place, be in a community, and live in such a way in that community where we actually get to do the things we're called to do, love and support and encourage and walk alongside one another. God's omniscience, while it can be scary at first, should be freeing, should be life-giving. You see, God knows Jacob. He knows the kind of mess that Jacob is. So why pick Jacob? He picks Jacob for the same reason he picks Noah. It's for the same reason he picks Abraham, and it's the same reason that we have the ability to have a right relationship with God today. Grace. Getting what you don't deserve. God chose Jacob while he was still in the womb. He literally could not do anything to impress God. He literally could do nothing to try and earn God's favor. And God says, you are the one I'm going to carry the line of promise through. And that's the same truth for us today. We can't earn our way into God's family. We can't do anything to impress God in such a way where he's going to love us more. We can't earn our way into heaven. And because God knows all things, he knows we need a Savior. He knows we needed that line of promise. He knows that we needed Jesus. You see, God knew we needed a sacrifice for our sins that was sufficient enough to cover the sins of the world. He knew he needed to offer a sacrifice that was going to pay for all sin of all time. And he does so by sending his son to live a perfect life and die on the cross in our place for our sins. So it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you have done. Your identity does not have to be wrapped up in what sins you have committed or the sins that have been committed against you. Because God is good. Because God knows all things. Because God is all-powerful. Because God is love. Because God is just. Because of who he is, he sends his son to die for us. It doesn't matter where you come from. It matters whether or not you believe in Jesus. And so we have a few options here at the end of the day. You can be like Isaac. You can be like Isaac toward the end of his life and ignore what God has said. You can ignore things like Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one will enter the Father except through me. You can ignore John 3.16. You can ignore, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. You can take all of the things God has said and ignore them. And that will leave you broken and empty and alone. Or you could be like Esau. And you can rely on your own strength, your own gifts, your own talents, ignoring the fact that those things came from God. And you can think, you know what, right here, instant gratification. I don't care. I just want to be happy right now in this moment. I don't care what it costs me. You could be like Esau and make those kind of decisions. But Esau, at the end of the day, is alone and filled with hate and sadness and despair. 
Or you can identify with Rebecca and Jacob. They try and scam their way through the system. Look for a clever way, a clever trick, a loophole in God's plan and say, God, look, I can do it on myself. You didn't account for this. Where are you at this morning? Which one of this family do you find yourself identifying with? Because there's another option. You can just stop. And you can rest in knowing that God is all-powerful. That he is all-knowing. That he is gracious. That he is merciful. That he is just. You can rest in the fact that he made you. That he knows you. And that he loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. You can rest in the fact that God wants you to live that abundant life from John 10.10. He wants you to live a life in excess. He wants you to live the best way possible. And he knows the best way possible to live because he invented how to do life. God has given us a gift. The gift of his son, Jesus. And it is through that that we can have the best life possible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good all the time. God, there is none like you. And God, the more and more we open the Bible, the more and more we watch this world, the more and more we examine ourselves, God, we know we need you. We know we need you. We need your grace. We need the things that you offer. We need Jesus. God, every day, and every day we need to remember that we need Jesus. Every day. God, we thank you for your never-ending supply of grace, your never-ending supply of love. God, we thank you for the new life that we can have, the new identity that's not built in what we've done who we are, what's been done to us, but rather built in you, built in the the love and grace that you offer. Our new identity can be found through your son, Jesus. Identifying with him, choosing him, choosing to accept the grace, the free gift of his death to pay for our sins so that we can no longer be rebels, no longer be enemies against you, but rather your sons and daughters. God, we thank you for Stories like this. We thank you for the mess and the chaos of life and the fact that even in those moments, you are in control and you are carrying out your plan. God, we thank you for who you are, what you have done, and what you continue to do. Here, in this city, and around the world. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen.